This week's reading is Deuteronomy chapter 32 verses 1 to 25. Listen you heavens and I will speak. Hear you earth the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord, O praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. They are corrupt and not his children. To their shame they are a warped and crooked generation. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you. Your elders and they will explain to you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the peoples, according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted inheritance. In a desert land he found him, in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him, he guarded him as the apple of his eye like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. The Lord alone led him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the heights of the land and fed him with the fruit of the fields. He nourished him with honey from the rock and with oil from the flinty crag, with curds and milk from herd and flock and with fattened lambs and goats, with choice rams of Bashan and the finest grains of wheat, you drank the foaming blood of the grape. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. Filled with food, they became heavy and sleek. They abandoned the God who had made them and rejected the rock, their saviour. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to false gods, which are not God, gods they had not known, gods that recently appeared, gods your ancestors did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you, you forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and rejected them, because he was angered by his sons and daughters, I will hide my face from them, he said, and see that their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. They made me jealous by what is no God, and angered me with their worthless idols. I will make them envious by those who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation that has no understanding. For a fire will be kindled by my wrath, one that burns down to the realm of the dead below. It will devour the earth and its harvests, and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap calamities on them, 
and expend my arrows against them. I will send wasting famine against them, consuming pestilence and deadly plague. I will send against them the fangs of wild beasts, the venom of vipers that glide in the dust. In the street, the sword will make them childless. In their homes, terror will reign. The young men and young women will perish, the infants and those with grey hair. This is God's word. Well, evening, evening one and all. Uh, my name is Matt Fuller, if we've not met. But uh, we have a duo in Deuteronomy 32 for the next couple of weeks, uh, tonight and next week. Uh, it is a song, so feel free to... Um, uh, write a tune to it. Slightly disappointing that Ben didn't write a tune and sing the reading, but um, you know, can't have it all. Uh, we're grateful for the reading, uh, but it is a song, a curious song. Uh, we only had half of it read tonight, but uh, we'll work our way through it in a couple of weeks, and I think it'll do us a lot of good. Let me pray. Let me pray as we begin. Hey, great God and Father, as we've sung already this evening, you are such a wonderful provider for us in giving us all that we need, giving us salvation in the rock of ages, the Lord Jesus Christ. But Father, this evening, will we in many ways enjoy being reminded of how good and generous you are? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, not many of us have the talent to do so, but um, if you're going to write a song, what would you write a song about? quite a big ask, um, and not just a, a sort of ditty or a limerick, you know, a, a proper song, verses, chorus, and a bridge. Uh, and if it's a Christian song, a key change. You know, what would you do? What would you write a song about? Um, I mean, there are some obvious themes. Love is a pretty obvious theme. That, that'll do most in the charts. Um, loss, also. Lost boyfriend, lost girlfriend. Seems to uh, get quite a lot of mileage uh, out of them. Uh, I guess if you were shrewd, you'd write a Christmas song. And um, raking half a million quid a year like Noddy Holder and, um, and, and Slate or, or Mariah Carey. That would be a shrewd move. But um, what would you write a song about? What about ingratitude? Not quite such an obvious theme for a song. There are some. I, uh, I googled it. There is one song, Ungrateful, um, sort of metal number. I don't suppose many of you will have heard of it. Um, not many songs about ingratitude. But Deuteronomy 32, one of the great songs of the Bible, and that's its theme. Or I guess more specifically, God's wonderful faithfulness and humanity's ungrateful faithlessness is the theme. It's a song about that. Just to bring us up to speed, as I said, we're jumping in. Why are we have, I mean, honestly, uh, back in the summer, we're putting the term cards together, we do Colossians for a bit, and by the time we get to the end of November, December, who knows what will be going on in COVID era. I'll just put Deuteronomy 32, because I've been reading it over the summer, and I think it's very exciting, and uh, nothing better has occurred. Um, plus, in the sort of variety of scripture, it's good to have a song every now and again. But uh, we're jumping in then to Deuteronomy 32. Moses is about to die. That's been the big theme 
I meant one sense of the book, but certainly chapter 31, Moses is about to die. He's led the people for 40 years out of uh, uh, Egypt, uh, where they're enslaved, to the borders of the promised land, not in. They're just about to go into the promised land. Moses isn't going with them. He says, I'm about to die in chapter 31. So when I die, that's a big deal. Um, I mean, most of us have known nothing but the queen in our lifetimes. Many of us remember her father. When the queen goes, it'll be a big deal. But Moses was miles bigger. Not just their father figure, but God's mouthpiece, God's prophet. He's been a military leader. He's been a judge, a religious leader. He's everything to them, really. Moses says, I'm about to die. And so chapter 31, I'm going to give you three things, all right? I'll give you a new, what God says. I'll give you three things. A new leader, Joshua. He won't be as good as me, but, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, the, the, the Torah, I'm going to write it down. Everything I've been talking about, I'm going to write it all down and give that to you. And you want to read the, uh, that regularly, the scriptures. And thirdly, let me spend a bit of time on this. I'm going to give you a song. I'm about to die. And one of the most useful things God says I can give you is a song. There's a sense in which Deuteronomy 32 is the national anthem of Israel. Very striking. What do you need? Okay, you have a replacement leader, you have God's written law, and you need a song. It's a tangent in one sense, but why do we need a song? I think, as you see throughout the scriptures, music has a unique ability to engage our faculties, our, our thinking, our emotions, and our volition. It moves us to act in a way that prose does not. Music has, songs have that ability. In many ways, you become, or you're certainly shaped by whatever you sing, so sing good songs. And Deuteronomy 32 is a good song. It mattered for them. It matters for us too. Because as we'll see, just we'll see this over the next, next week in particular, but um, this is meant to be a timeless song, Deuteronomy 32. It's meant to be sung through the ages. Um, it describes God and human nature and is actually quite vague in lots of the details, even though it's a song given to Moses to, to be the national anthem of Israel. There's nothing about the obvious stuff that you'd expect there to be. There's nothing about redemption from Egypt, nothing about crossing the Red Sea, nothing about destruction of their enemies, uh, nothing about going into the promised land, nothing about the covenant, all the things that the Psalms would be... Chock a block full of, none of them here in actually uh, Deuteronomy 32. It's quite vague on the details because it's meant to be timeless and sung by everyone. There's numerous verses about Israel in Deuteronomy 32 that when you get to the New Testament are declared to be about the whole of humanity. This is a song for you and for me. And Revelation 15, chapter 15 says, we'll be singing it in heaven. So you may as well learn the words now because you're going to be singing them a long time. And if it's a song good enough for heaven, it's got to be good enough for earth. So there. We're only going to get to verse 18 actually today, about two-fifths of the way through, um, which is a bit awkward because of course the, the, the song actually gets a bit depressing towards the end. Uh, verses 19 to 25 that uh, Ben also read get really depressing uh, and then it starts to cheer up again. So fear not, fear not. It ends on a high note. It's a song with a story. Let's turn to the text then. You get an introduction really in, in chapter 32. 
And uh, Moses summons, listen, you heavens, and I'll speak. Hear you, earth, the words of my mouth. I'm summoning the heavens and the earth, and my words will do a lot of great good. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. My words will do great good. Feeling dry, they'll bring you to life. They'll give you growth. And then in our passage tonight, really just down to verse 18, just makes two comments. There's a faithful God and a faithless people. That's almost the chorus you get in verses three to six. There's a faithful God and a faithless people. And then the song goes into more detail on those two. So let's work through them then, just those two points. A faithful God and a faithless people. So first there, verses three and four and seven to 14, there's a faithful God. Verse three, I will proclaim... The name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. He's the rock. That's the most frequent metaphor of the song. In the plains of Horeb, in a dry and dusty land, in a land without, which is incredibly hot and the sun bears down on you, a rock is good news, shade. Protection is what a rock gives you. So big rock, it's hard not to think beyond Uluru or um, Ayers Rock uh, in Australia. There it is from the air. It's just really hard to get the scale of it in any sort of photo. If you go there, it's big, (laughs) as in enormous, absolutely. And of course, the weird thing about Ayers Rock is it's just there and then pretty much a few other things. Just nothing else just sticks out the earth like a massive spot uh, in the middle of the center of Australia. And thousands and thousands of people gather every day to see the sun rise and see the sun set. It's spectacular. It's been there 400 million years. Of course, uh, Aboriginal people's worship is a holy place there. But there is something, no matter what you believe, certainly you go there, I've been there as a Christian, it's just something impressive about something that's been that's that big and has been there for 400 million years. Constancy. It's just there. Seasons come, seasons go. Climate change, it's still there. It's not going away in a hurry. Strength, refuge, stability in the rock. And more than that, in verse 4, these other descriptors, you have to put in verbs, but actually in the original text, there are no verbs in verse 4. I think the point of that is this rock is unchanging, so we don't need any movement. We don't need any verbs. So it literally is um, perfect works, always just, faithful, no wrong, upright, just, There are no verbs. There's just descriptors of who he is, and he's never going to change. He always is these things. Wonderful. Constancy. Oh, it's a time of instability at the moment. A rock. Well, this vaccine, 94%, this vaccine, 70%, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's about a 62%. It depends if whether Brazilian people are old enough, whether they're too young, whether, ah, whatever. Certainty, constancy with this rock. 
The contrast, and more of this in a moment, but the contrast comes in verses five and six. If verses three and four are the first half of the chorus, verses five and six, the second half. What about God's people in this song, Israel? They are corrupt. Look at the descriptors, corrupt, not his children. They are warped. They're a crooked generation. Ouch. And you get this incredulity of verse six. Is this the way? You repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people. Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Father, not in a legal sense like the New Testament, but fathered you. He, he created you. You're his children. He's given you everything, and you've gone, don't need you. Shakespeare's King Lear He's, uh, he's not a model father by any stretch of the imagination, if you know your Shakespeare. But the point in the play early on, um, when he's betrayed by his daughters, comes up with timeless words that, um, well, he may not be a great father. Uh, these are true words that any parent has felt, I think. How sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. Ingratitude, thou marble-hearted fiend, more hideous when thou showest thee in a child than the sea monster. You see what he's saying? Do you know what? I'd rather be bitten and die from a snake bite than have a thankless child. It causes me so much pain. I'd rather encounter some great sea monster. What is that for? I don't know. Crocodile? I don't know. Than have a thankless child. So painful, a thankless child to any parent. Well, that's the chorus, but then you get more detail on the faithful God. Ready, verses 7 to 14. Remember, not that you were there at the beginning of creation, but here's what you need to know or remember. Remember the days of old. Consider that a generation's long past. Ask your father, he'll tell you, your elders, and they'll explain to you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the people according to the number of the sons of Israel. You just need to remember, of course, at the beginning of the creation, God assigned everything to everyone, and he gave the, I don't know, he gave the Alps to, to France, and he gave the, the Mediterranean to, to Italy and one or two other countries, beautiful climate, and he gave the Rockies to the USA, and, and they're staggering, and he gave, I don't know, sharks to Australia. He, but he allocated everything out. Sorry. Uh, he gave out all the good stuff, and yet... Verse 9, for the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. Most precious of all, he chose Israel. And you get this beautiful picture of verse 10. In a desert land, God found him, the nation of Israel. In a barren and howling waste, he shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. You see the picture? There's a baby uh, exposed in the desert in a barren and howling waste and the king comes along and, and picks up the baby and he sh the king should have much better things to do but he says I'll feed you I'll care for you I'll change the nappies I'll help you take your first steps I'll do all that for you I'll read you the stories I'll never let anything harm you 
A similar picture in verse 11. Uh, The Lord is like an eagle that stirs up its nest and makes a nest and and hovers over its young that spreads its wings to catch them, carries them on on its pinions. The Lord alone led him. No foreign god was with him. The, The Lord is like an eagle that hovers. The only other time you get that verb to hover is Genesis chapter one. The spirit of God hovers over creation. And you see what this wonderful hovering God does for people. If you're you're in need, he'll feed you. If you fall, he'll catch you. If anything threatens, he'll protect you. That's your God. That's who he is. Verses 13 and 14, he made Israel ride in the heights of the land. He fed him with the fruit of the fields. He nourished him with honey from the rock, with oil from the flinty crag, with curds and milk from herd and flock, with fattened lambs and goats, with choice rams of Bashan and the finest grains of wheat. He drank the foaming blood of the grape. You get all the good stuff. I mean, rocks, honey, which is a luxury in in the culture. Mm, Sweet to taste. Honey just oozes from the rocks. And oil, the sort of basic necessity for your lamps and all sorts of products, oozes from from the crop. It just is so generous in what he gives you. You get the finest wine, the, the, the foaming blood of the grape, the chateau of de pub or whatever, the, the, the best of the stuff, the best cuts of meat. See, God, has, God himself has taken this people from verse 10, dying of exposure in a howling barren land and fed them until they have loads. They're living in luxury, really. So the picture is of a faithful God, a good father, a generous creator. He's a faithful God. But the people are not. Verses 15 to 18, they are a faithless people. So Jerusalem or Israel or Jacob grew fat and kicked, filled with food. They became heavy and sleek. They abandoned the God who made them, rejected the God, uh, their savior. Look, we're, so, we're fine. Look at us. Look how successful we are. Look, we're, we're, we're well fed. We're sleek. We're impressive. We don't need you. And so they make him jealous. In verse 17, they sacrifice to false gods which are not God, gods they'd not known, gods that had recently appeared, gods your ancestors did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. Can you imagine a six-year-old declaring one day to his, her parents, he says, mom, dad, I don't need you. I don't need you anymore. Look at me. I'm strong. I'm independent. I've got all the clothing. I've got all the, all, I've got all the, I've got everything I need. Mum and dad, I don't need you. I am out of here. And the horrified parents, well, they locked the door probably. But um, if the kid is out the door, they say, but well, what will you eat? I'm fine. And where will you sleep? I'll be fine. It's quite cold now, darling. I'll be fine. Someone else will look after me. Madness. And that's the picture of Israel here. And so there is enormous pain in verse 18. You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. What's your dad's name? I can't remember. Oh, did he die when you were young? No, I just left him. Oh. 
problem is there's two things here that are causing God great pain. One is the ingratitude, sharper than a serpent's tooth, the rejection, we don't need you. But secondly, this is a child committing self-destruct, disaster. There is an incredible stupidity here for humans to reject their maker. It's not just ungrateful. It's not just ingratitude. It's madness. It's, it's stupidity. And yet such an incredible act of stupidity becomes credible when you forget that everything you have comes from God. You see that? And it, an incredible act of stupidity. It becomes credible, sensible to you when you forget that God has given you everything. A faithful God, but faithless people. So let me just apply it to us, two brief things. Uh, a truth about us, and a timeless truth about us, and a timeless truth about God. The first and a timeless truth about us, Israel's song is humanity's song. I, more of these next week, but just for example, verse five, Israel, they are corrupt and not his children to their shame. They're a warped and crooked generation. In the New Testament, Philippians chapter two, the apostle Paul says that that is true of the whole of humanity now, a warped and crooked generation. It's universally true. And for us, many of us were born comfortable, have become comfortable. And it's easy to think, God is all right, but we don't really need him. We're fine. We forget he is the source of all that we have, all that we are. So look, look, it's not everyone's cup of tea, I know. Uh, the other day, there was a recording of uh, 2018, U2 in concert. And uh, not everyone likes them, I know that. Uh, one advantage of 60-year-old rockers, which is what they are now, you still rock age 60, sort of, Gently, um, but um, uh, is they are they can reflect with some maturity upon their career. There's one point; it's fairly odd in the concert uh, where Bono spoke of the first time the band went massive when they're in their late twenties. It's a sort of global uh, phenomenon, and uh, he said he put it in these terms. He said, uh, "It all went to our heads. Being a rock star does stuff to your mind. It feeds a lie that we want to believe." That's a great line. We want to believe the lie. Mad stuff like, you're much more interesting than your next door neighbor. Or real heroes like firefighters, teachers, or nurses. The lie continues, you're a visionary. You're an artist. You're so special. He goes on to relate the story. There was one point, you know, a global phenomenon in one sense. And a, a guy comes up to him in his neighborhood uh, and says, oh, uh, hi there. Uh, just, just remember, um, look, you, you may think you're a big stuff now and famous, but you're still Paul Hewson, who grew up at number 11 Cedarwood Road, a few doors up from me. And he said, I went nuts. I just wanted to say, I'm not Paul Hewson. I'm Bono. That's who I am. Sir Bono in these days, honorary. Um, and he said, it's just all, and then he went on to say, and now I know it's all madness. It's all madness because God can take away your life and your health like that. He can strip you down just like that. Everything we have is from him. 
course, a rock star like Bono is at a different level to you and me, but still success, comfort. If we feel, verse 15, filled with food and sleek and life is going well, it's easy to think, well, we don't need God. Easy to think that personally or corporately. I mean, such good news, such a relief that a vaccine is in sight and maybe, you know, certainly this time next year, we'd really hope that things are so so very different. And yet, of course, we can say brilliant humanity. We're so brilliant. We're so brilliant to have created a vaccine. But every ability comes from the Lord. Every opportunity comes from him. Every discovery is in his timing. They're all from him. It's a timeless truth about humanity. We are ungrateful children. But wonderfully, and let's end here, the timeless truth about God is that he's always faithful. He is the rock, constant, perfect works, always just, no iniquity, faithful. And so there's always hope with him. We'll see more next time. But while we are ungrateful children, God the Son comes down and lives in Jesus Christ as a perfect son so that you and I can now be legally adopted into God's family and be children that will never leave because God is a faithful God. And it is a wonder a wonder to me, each and every day in many ways, while we are fickle and ungrateful, and when we're on the receiving end from friends who let us down, it causes so much pain, but we can dish that pain out as well. We are fickle and ungrateful, and God is constant. Always the same. Always love. And we are ungrateful and corrupt and crooked, and he is unwavering love there to catch us, there to protect us, there to feed us. And we desert and forget our creator and he pursues us and follows us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's so good. We're so ungrateful and he still says, I'll chase you down and bring you back to me. Build your life on this rock. Let me pray. Hey, great God and Father, we don't have to look far to recognize the ingratitude within us. And so often it's because we, we just forget. We don't remember that all that we have comes from you. Would your word sink into our hearts, into our thinking? Would we sing of your goodness so that we enjoy it? you as our wonderful creator, as our good father. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.